Welcome to the Double Helix Podcast, where we speak to experts within the pharma and the biopharma industry to get their insights and advice. I'd like to welcome Ian Stenson, who is a quality consultant, a QP and the lead auditor with his own company called IJS Pharma Services Limited. Welcome Ian, we're delighted to have you with us today. Uh, thanks PJ for getting in touch. How are you? I'm very good, I'm very good. So to start, can you please just tell us a little bit about yourself, your current role and what it involves? Yeah, so I'm I'm from Waterford in, in the southeast. Um, I went to went to college in WIT originally. Went straight into the pharma industry from there. So I suppose for the last 25 years, I've worked for a number of companies, primarily in the, in the southeast. Um, and at the moment in my role, so two years ago, I set up my own company, and I, I work with companies where they have, you know, needs for additional, say, quality support or. They need a hand with audit readiness or during busy periods and projects. So I kind of slot in, see what they need, and then see what can I offer them at that stage. Great. And can you tell us maybe, Ian, a little bit more about those companies that you work with? Uh, maybe a bit more about the size of the companies and, and the types of products that they make? Sure. So I, I work with local companies. So um, local companies nearby where we're talking about things like um, oncology products, oral solid dose products. Um, I also work then with a couple of multinational companies that are, that are based in Ireland and also in the US. Uh, there we're talking about things like biological products, uh, gene therapy, clinical trials. Um, I also do some work with some consultancy companies. I've done some lecturing with uh, down in UCC and I'm a course coordinator on one of the courses down in UCC as well. So companies can range from 200 people to 800 people um, across multiple sites. You're a busy, busy man. Oh, yeah, nice to be busy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ian. So... Uh, okay, so obviously, yeah, you mentioned um, you're working across a number of different companies there. Um, can you tell us maybe what the commonalities and maybe the differences you see across these companies? Um, yeah, commonalities, they're, 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 they're very common, as in most of my work is based in, in Ireland. I have done some work in the US, but across Ireland, I mean, you, you have a, a very skilled workforce, um, a nice mixture of younger you know, grads plus more experienced people plus more seasoned veterans. It's not unusual um, in Ireland as well, where people have worked in a number of different companies, particularly in pharma, so that they've they've worked across a, a, a number of areas and a number of, say, company cultures. And in a way, they can adjust to the culture over time, but also they can bring the best points from other companies with them. So I think that, that all comes down well, well-trained, dedicated personnel. I think the cultures then in the companies essentially come from the top-down people. Um, Irish Irish companies would have a slightly different culture to the US companies, but ultimately it's the, the people in the senior positions at the site um, and drive the behaviours of, of, of people across all levels of the organisation. Uh, Ireland, I suppose, again, you know, great place to do work, very, very easy to work in a company or come in and everybody knows everybody knows somebody and you, you find a great degree of commonality very quickly when you're working in Irish companies. So as the podcast in relates to quality and compliance, 
Can you just maybe tell us what sort of trends you've noticed, maybe the good and the bad if possible, um, during your time spent auditing and maybe particularly in Ireland, if you can? Um, yeah, I suppose the good is, again, I think in terms of the standard and where Irish companies are held accountable by HPRA, standards of, of um, PQS are, are pretty good across all of the facilities. Facilities, again, by and large, the standard of construction, uh, cleanliness, hygiene, gowning, again, very, very good, very consistent um, training provided on site, again, for full-time employees is pretty good. There are a lot of good companies out there where people get um, extra supplemental testing our training um, to, to fill gaps. So I think in Ireland, we're lucky that we have a, a, a pretty skilled workforce. Um, the bad points I would see would be sometimes companies bring in temporary workers to do, you know, fill it where they have a peak or a, a peak on a product. Um, sometimes the training level may not be of the same standard when you have temporary workers in. Um, some facilities are starting to get old. So in Ireland, we built lots of nice factories, but over time, some facilities have started to get old. Equipment is starting to get old and outdated. The services that we're using start to become old and outdated. And then it's a battle between uh, investment in the plant, investment in equipment, um, particularly as well when you compare like an older part of the factory to a newer part of the factory. As an auditor, you, you can compare that straight away and go, hmm, standard is not quite as high here as it was in that area. So a lot of companies are now at that stage where they're starting to have to reinvest money back into their facility and bring it back up to an acceptable standard. The last point I would make there as well is that some companies still use things like uh, paper batch records, paper deviations, paper investigations versus other companies that are using electronic systems. So again, it's just, you know, um, people are moving at different speeds in, in the farm industry uh, across from paper to electronic. Okay, that it's, I think the, the most interesting point there is definitely the, the older facilities. Um, like, would it be fair to say that a lot of the facilities in Ireland would have been built in the, the 60s, maybe the 70s, and now that's what you're finding that those are the ones that need more maintenance yeah and, and i mean the height, yeah that, that's a fair point and i think you're on about as well that the kind of throughput in some factories is is non-stop when is a good time to take some time out when is a good time to shut down i mean i've worked with companies where it's like the engineer and manager is telling you he needs a month the builders are telling you they need three months and the planner is telling them he can have two weeks so it's trying to find yeah. it's trying to find that but as well i mean things like sterile fill finish facilities some of the um, some of the cleaning regimes on some of the equipment is very aggressive, and it starts to corrode the equipment. So I know, having worked in sterile finish in the past, it's a constant battle between the detergents and the disinfectants that you're using, and the sporocytes and the clericides, and then the impact that that has on on the uh, equipment in the in the facility. So it's it's a constant battle where you you know you're trying to tweak and and make the best of what you have. Got it, got it. And then just, just one last point on that. So you mentioned um, one of the bad points there would be um, maybe temporary workers. The, the use of temporary workers were maybe training or their standards might be as good. So uh, as an auditor, is that something that you maybe caution companies on? Because I think the way the model has gone is more towards temporary employment. So is that something that you caution against? 
again, I think as, as an auditor, like I, I've been lucky, I've done audits probably across 20 or 30 different countries. Uh, what I'm looking for is where's the consistency. So you will be looking at on an initial, um, the initial slides, how many temporary employees do you have? How many permanent employees do you have? Then you will look at how much time are they investing? So when we talk about temporary contractors, it could be someone on a two year contract or it could be someone that's called in for two weeks been my experience in the past when you call someone in quickly to do a quick job that may be two or three weeks not enough time spent on training those people and certainly working from a quality perspective sometimes again not always and um, it can be more trouble than it's worth you, you, you're saying jesus we should have just done this ourselves because yeah. there's just that urgency to get things done and sometimes uh, it can bring more complications got it got it okay thank you thanks you're for that so I suppose again, just on the on the theme of compliance, um, the next question is around maybe what you think are the company's maybe top three problems. So in general, what are companies' top three problems when it comes to compliance? Um, I was I was lucky. I did some work on this a while ago. Um, we did some um, benchmarking against a number of companies, and we had maybe twenty or thirty different companies came on board. And, and looked at this and, and at a high level it, it, it kind of broke down into a couple of categories. So the first one was uh, contract manufacturing organizations, the oversight. So a lot of companies have CMOs on their books and they have relationships with them. Um, the level of investment in terms of oversight in CMO companies definitely um, differs across different pharmaceutical companies. Some people will have a person in plant at the CMO some companies um, are allowed to uh, visit the CMOs for training. Uh, some companies have um, a sign-off on complex deviations and investigations at the CMO. And others are at the other end where basically they get delivered the product with the list of documentation and the list of um, deviations and they don't have a say in it at all. So um, it can be very difficult in terms of management of your CMO, how good that relationship can be and the impact then it has on you when the critical issue can arise. Um, the second issue we saw was around managing license updates. So a lot of changes in the regulatory world, updating uh, misalignment of the CMC data in reg dossiers, um, what's in the dossier versus what's in your GMP procedures and your validations. So a lot of companies uh, spend a lot of time updating licenses and dossiers. Um, and then the question is, how do people track all of this? So are they using paper-based systems? Some companies still use things like Microsoft Excel. Other companies have uh, global regulatory databases. So again, the, uh, the, um, the investment in that is, is crucial and the, the, the people who work on that are, are vital. Sure. And the third thing then that we saw again was artwork updates. So one of the biggest burdens in life is changes in artwork, particularly around supply chain. So again, how is that being managed? A timely update of patient information leaflets. How does that filter down into the supply chain? How do you manage that at a country by country basis? Do you have affiliates in that country who govern that or is it done from a central point? And what ERP system are you using to drive the changes in your artworks? And every company does it differently, um, but yeah. but it's such a global market now that the days of sending your product to Europe, uh, all under one item code, are long gone. You're into 
each EU company, the sheer number of SKUs you're on about then sending products to other companies and they may do some labeling or they may do some over labeling or they may add in a new leaflet or they sure. want to put on an extra text. And it's that whole supply chain and, and how you manage that. And then for me, when I'm a QP, it's like, well, how do I get all that information back? How do I know that the supply chain, uh, as per my requirements in the annex, is, is fully complete and I have oversight of everything that we do? So it's a big world out there. It's a complex web, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the next question then, Ian, is what areas do you think auditors are currently focusing more on? So say the current state and what areas do you think that they will focus more on in the future? So the future state, so current state and future state, what are they focusing on? At the moment, I suppose for the last two years, all everybody talks about is that integrity. Um, that's always been the big one. Um, I was fortunate to do some training classes on that integrity and it's a very complex world. And then how do we manage that integrity as a company? Who's your person? Who's your expert? Um, what kind of data integrity committee do you have? How do you check that there have been no breaches in your data integrity? The role of your IT, your system administrators, you know, that is a, that is a big area. Um, so that's been getting a lot of focus over the last two years. But that, that'll, that's the fad at the moment. It'll be something else. Not a fad, but it'll be something else next year. Um, I did look at the US FDA invest, um, current trends in terms of why they give the most 483s. Um, and a lot of them for the FDA are now falling under the QC areas. So it's uh, responsibilities and procedures applicable to the QC unit are not fully followed specifically. That's the number one observation by FDA. Number two was investigation of discrepancies and batch failures. And number three was uh, scientifically sound lab controls or a lack of. They were the top three observations. So FDA are focusing heavily on the labs at the moment. Whereas um, at the last QP forum, the HPRA said 40% of major deficiencies were around PQS, 27% were around personnel and equipment, 20% were for production, and 7% were for complaints. So you can see that like there's HPRA are looking at uh, finding a lot of observations in one area, FDA are finding a lot of observations in another. Um, in terms of future state, something that's starting to come up again is cleaning validation. Um, and it's the old days of visually clean, um, no streaks, no observations, or 10 parts per million. Um, for companies where they make more than one product, you know, health-based exposure limits are, are becoming a big thing with the guidelines. Um, as we move towards gene therapy products, I've, I've some work there, it's you're getting into real-time release of gene therapy. So how is that going to be controlled? How do you release those batches, given that they're going into a patient very quickly, uh, very quickly after they've been made? It's going to be interesting. Those products have a very short shelf life. So how is that going to be controlled in the future? So, yeah, as you mentioned, so there are areas for, for future focus. In terms of how audits themselves may be conducted in the future, um, do you think there'll be any changes there? I mean, maybe there's technology changes, uh, for example. Do you see audits being conducted differently in the future? I, 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 um, it's a bit like when you ask people, um, can you do a desk-based audit versus a, a factory audit? I mean, a desk-based audit will only tell you so much. I mean, from a regulatory inspection purpose, COVID aside, I think people will continue to spend a lot of time at sites, but I think where they look at 
may change. I mean, I've had this conversation with friends in the past. Most pharmaceutical auditors and regulatory bodies, by nature, are scientists. But we have moved so far along the computerized system trail that a lot of, you know, people don't have an expertise in the IT systems. So typically auditors tend to give things a wide berth in certain areas, like what do you use for your ERP system? Oh, we use SAP. Oh, well, that's grand. Everybody uses SAP. Or we use TrackWise. Oh, that's grand. Everybody uses TrackWise. But I think, you know, more and more as we're more and more reliant on computerized systems, we're going to be challenged on things like our computer system validation, how we control our automated systems, use of, you know, optical character character recognition systems, vision systems, serialization has become a big thing, um, obviously mm-hmm. across the world. Um, more and more companies are starting to use electronic batch records and lots of companies now are trying to get interfaces so all of their equipment talking to each other, so their MES system talking to their SAP system, talking to their trackway system, tra- talking to their limb system, so that when you're going to release a batch you can do a quick search and get all those systems to talk to each other and, and, and give you a high level of any issues that there may have been involved. That area hasn't really been looked at by regulatory bodies because, as I said, typically they're scientists. But I think it's an area we're going to see more of in the future. Ian, you mentioned Ireland has a, a, compl- a good compliance, a strong compliance record. Um, and I suppose that's that's part of the reason why many of the multinationals reside here. But what other countries do you think are, are making real progress in, in terms of compliance? Um, I would say around Europe, um, again, I can only base it on my own experience, but I know places like Germany are, you know, by and large, really, really good, really on the ball. And neighbouring countries like Austria and Switzerland, again, would be of, of, of a very high standard. Uh, France would be, you know, it, it varies, Italy, it varies. Um, Japan, again, the workforce is very dedicated, but they don't have a whole pile of uh, regulations in Japan at the moment. So some of the regulations are voluntary. Um, and then you have the other countries who are playing catch up. So you have places like China and India, obviously, um, some good news coming out of there, some bad news coming out of there. Um, and it, it, it's a big world out there, you know. I mean, I would say, yes, HPRA give uh, hold countries, uh, hold all Irish pharmaceutical companies to a very high standard. And it certainly has stood to our benefit in the past when we're audited by other regulatory bodies from around the world. And do you think, Ian, that we should be worried maybe that multinationals will choose some of those other countries who are particularly strong and becoming stronger? Absolutely. I mean, like we're a little island on the edge of Europe, so we need to be competitive. Um, Historically, Ireland has always been an expensive place to do business. Um, On the plus side, thankfully, we have, you know, a highly skilled workforce. Um, There is great collaboration, I would say, on the island between bodies and between parties. So everybody in Ireland uh, wants to help everybody else in the farm industry if they can. Um, Again, being a small network, everybody knows somebody and everybody can have a conversation, pick up a call and say, hey, we're thinking of doing this. What do you think? Or we're thinking of buying this equipment or we're thinking of doing business with this company. And and word of mouth is a big thing in Ireland and the collaboration between people, regardless of what company you work for, I think has been excellent. And that's one of the things I think that makes Ireland unique is we can call on each other 
and get personal information, not company information, but just, you know, a little heads up and this would be good or we've, we've tried these guys, these guys are pretty good. So as long as people in Ireland continue to help each other, remain competitive, I mean, the standard is good. So it's just to try and maintain what edge we do have. Exactly, long, long may that continue. Uh, so getting back to you, Ian, what, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to be a quality consultant? Um, yeah, that's a funny one. I, I, I see some good stuff on LinkedIn on this, like uh, people say, what's your purpose? What do you want to do? Um, my, my question would be, what, why do you want to do it? And then who is your customer? And then what services can you provide that they don't already have? Now, I've been fortunate in terms of my career. I haven't mapped it out in any particularly huge way, but I've worked in QA validation, QP auditing, done some engineering. I've worked in OSD, inhalation products, sterile fill finish products, clinical trials. Um, you know, I know a lot of people and a lot of my work comes from contacts with people that I've worked with in the past. The downfall of working for yourself is there's no safety net. If you're not working, you're not getting paid. What if you have kids? What if you have a mortgage? What if you get sick? So, I mean, you, it's not a, a glamorous lifestyle as a quality consultant in terms of if you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. Um, and that's just being honest. Um, so it's right. trying to put yourself in a position of, do I have all those skills? Not being funny, but if you've only worked in the farm industry for five years, you're probably not going to get a job as a consultant somewhere um, unless you, you, you're you in a real niche area. So I suppose over time you, you generate experience, you get experience and you make contacts and they're the people then you end up working for in the future. Got it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, I suppose with, with your experience and you have fantastic experience, you've done it all in fairness. Um, if listeners want to contract your services, Ian, how can, how can they reach um, you? I, I, yeah, I don't have a fancy website or anything, um, so they, could, they can contact <laughs> me on LinkedIn. Or my email address is in there. Um, and then also then look, most people I work with know, know, know where to reach me. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn or our email is fine. And if I can help anyone in any way, I'd be only too happy to do so. Great, Raleen, that was that was fantastic. It was it was an education. Certainly. The advantage of being old, uh, PJ. The advantage of being old. <laughs> oh, I know. Don't worry about that. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, again, I really really appreciate the time. I think you've given great insights, tips, and advice. You know, to 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 people and to companies. So, we wish you the very best of luck for the future. And. Um, who knows maybe we'll we'll chat again on other interesting yeah, and topics. PJ listen thanks thanks very much and uh, best of luck to you and uh, Double Helix Limited in the future alright thanks take care much PJ. appreciate it we hope you enjoyed our podcast for more please check us out on social media and doublehelix.ie